Hey, good morning. So good to see all of you uh, here. Um, as If you're wondering where I was at the beginning of the service, I uh, drove back and forth between uh, our housing campus and here, and it was good to see what God was doing over there. And I'm just so excited about this season we're, season we're in as a church and how God has been speaking in a very real way to uh, not only to me, but to many of us here in our congregation and how he's been bringing revival to this church. If you've been at uh, Awakening Conference uh, just uh, two weeks ago or last weekend, how many of you experienced revival in your own life? Yeah, like a true awakening of, 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 of God in your own life, and it's been amazing. And, and I believe that that doesn't have to, have to stop at all. I believe God has so much more for us in, uh, you know, in our lives, in this church, and we want to talk about that. Uh, I believe an important part of, uh, of where we stand and, and how we un- interpret scripture um, has a lot to do with how we read the Bible. And uh, in these coming few weeks in this new series, the supernatural storyline of the Bible, Lost Essentials, I want to kind of dig into that, kind of talk about that. You know, what is, what is the supernatural world that the Bible speaks about? How, how much do we need to know about that anyway to understand the Bible well? And um, just one thing um, is, uh, you know, when you actually um, are on Netflix or you uh, watch television, so many of the TV shows, so many of the movies, they have supernatural elements in them. How many, how many of you ever noticed that? It's like uh, X-Files or whatever, you know, uh, or there's like superheroes in, in the stories. And uh, there's, there's just something about those series, but also um, in, in other ways, you know, people are seeking for spiritual truth. People are, are going to uh, like Buddhism or, um, or to New Age or, or other types of Eastern religions to kind of figure out more about the spiritual realm. And it is because God has created us in a certain way that we actually long for this. You know, in, um, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has placed eternity in man's heart, into man's heart. God has placed eternity in our hearts. So whenever, we do, whenever we're involved with something supernatural, it's like something resonates in us. Something supernatural takes place in us uh, that we need to, need to kind of, um, you know, engage in. But the problem is there's so much out there that actually is destructive in the supernatural world and what, we, what is being offered here on the earth. And, and what I want to do is I want to look at scripture and to kind of get a grip on, you know, what the Bible says about the supernatural world and how to kind of uh, make sense of that for our own lives here, here today. So, um, so today I really want to go back to um, the, you know, actually to the book of Genesis, but also to Psalm 82. And, and you see in Genesis that, um, that God lived in a place called Eden, the Garden of Eden, where he lived together with not only his human family, Adam and Eve, but also with his divine family, uh, which were, you know, the, um, the sons of God and, 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 and other, you know, spiritual be- beings that were there in the Garden of Eden. I mean, one, one big indication in the, uh, in the book of Genesis is that there was a serpent in, in Genesis chapter 3, and he wasn't there because he got kicked out of heaven. He was there because God was living together with his divine and his human family in one place. And then as he was in the garden, he rebelled against God because he, he made his own choices. And he pulled mankind alongside with it so that they got kicked out of uh, the, the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, both the heavenly and the earthly realms, they were one. But when the serpent, when the Nachash in Hebrew rebelled and took humans along in his rebellion, they got kicked out of that perfect world. 
And as a result of that, we've lost connection with God's supernatural realm. So to truly understand the Bible and God's master plan for the world, we need to get a better understanding of, of um, the supernatural world that is around us. So I'll read with you from Psalm chapter 82. And there's going to be some things, let me tell you up front, that are going to make you feel uncomfortable. Is it okay with you? Can we read the Bible for what it's really worth? Is it okay? So let's pray and then read. Father, we thank you for your word. God, there's things in there that we don't always understand, Lord, but um, God, you, you have a plan uh, with every word that's written in your word, and, and we know that um, it's going to make a difference in our lives when we really understand what it's about, Father. And God, we just pray that in these next 30 minutes or so that you would speak to our hearts and, and open ourselves up to what you want to say to us. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 82, verse one. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, this sounds weird, doesn't it? He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men shall you die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. This psalm uncovers some of the mystery of the spiritual world that's around us. And it speaks here about the gods. It's like, could that be the reason why so few of us actually read this, you know, this psalm, this particular psalm? Because it's just awkward, you know, just seeing that there's multiple gods and it speaks about, it speaks about a divine council. What, what to do with that? What to make of that? And, you know, you think of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, and it's the Shema. Uh, and, and when we read that, we think that the Israelites believed that there was only one God. Because it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You'd think, you know, that God is one. Well, actually, that's what it says, this, this, uh, this verse. God is one. It says there is one, there, but it doesn't say that there is one God. Yahweh, the Lord, is one. Which means that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is one, is, is one being in three persons. But he's one God. And below him, there are there, there could be other gods. I mean, this, this Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 kind of leaves that door open if we believe Psalm 82. So who are these gods? And are they um, like actual spirit beings or, or could these gods be like, for instance, the Trinity? Good question. You know, but the problem is what I just said is, is God is one, right? So the Trinity is one. So it can be that God is speaking to the, the other members of the Trinity. Besides that, that you see that these, these gods here in this Psalm 82, they actually went rogue. They, they started to rebel against God. So, and I don't think there's anything in the Bible that kind of explains that God the Son or God the Holy Spirit re rebelled against God. That's never there because God is perfect, right? So it can't be the Trinity. It can't be humans either. 
You know, some theologians, they, they struggled so much with this passage that, uh, that they started to come up with their own solutions. And a big part of the reason why they came up with their own solutions is that they feel uncomfortable with the spiritual world. They, yes, they, they already, many of them, many of those um, theologians and, and Bible scholars, they already struggle with the fact that there is a God, one God, that there is a, a supernatural being out there. They already struggle with that. So, so, so taking that one step further and saying that, hey, there is a whole divine realm around him. There is a divine council around him. There's, there's other gods with, 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 a, with a lower G, lowercase g, around him. That's a bit too far for those theologians. And that's why they come up with other solutions like this one. Could it be that those gods are, are Jewish elders who, who are supposed to judge over their people? And as they judge over their people, you know, God says to them, hey, you've, you've actually sinned against me. You're, you're treating your, your, those people unrighteously. You're, you're abusing them. And, and you've got to come to terms with that or else I'll strike you. You know, I'll, you'll die like men, verse 7 says. That makes no sense either. We know why. Because those Jewish elders, you know, this, this word that's being used for, for, for gods is the word Elohim. That way you say Elohim. The word Elohim, some of us really remember this. If we're old like me, we remember songs where uh, God, you are El Elohim. Songs like that. And the song, the, the text of that song is true-ish. Because God is not the only Elohim in the spiritual world around us. There's other Elohim as well. Elohim is a plural word actually. There's other Elohim out there as well. In the Bible, the word Elohim is never used of humans, so it can't be judges or elders. It can't be the members of the Trinity. We already saw that. So what is it? The only way how this term is being used, this word is being used in the Old Testament is in relation to the supernatural world, supernatural beings. And so I wanna, in the coming few weeks, I want, I want to kind of dig into that. I, wanna, I want us to kind of get a grip on what this supernatural world looks like because I, I, I'm a firm believer that we learn to read the Bible in its proper context. It's so easy to kind of superimpose our own ideas on the Bible, to superimpose Roman Catholic theology or Calvinist theology or other theologies. What I'm saying is let's go back 2,000 years ago to when Jesus walked this earth and, and, and have, a, have, a, have an idea about what, what believers, or what, what Jewish people believed in those days and how they understood what Jesus said. Or even further back, because Psalm 82 was written, you know, hundreds of years before that in a time when they were still called the Israelites. What was their worldview? What was their spiritual worldview? And how, do we, how did they understand a psalm like this? And how do we translate this back to our context? instead of superimposing our own Western theology on the biblical text. It's for, important for us to kind of grip, get a grip of, of what the Bible really says here. And I, and I honestly believe that when we go on that journey together, how many of you are willing to go on that journey together with me? If we're going on that journey together, that we will actually start to understand the Bible at a whole nother level. And no, we're not going to end up with polytheism. If you know what that means. Because in the first service, they were looking at me, what are you talking about? Then I went to Huizen, and I said polytheism again. 
They looked at me and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, but the lights are not as bright as they are here. So I could actually see the, 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 the question marks over their head. So I explained what polytheism was. You know what it is? It's when you believe in multiple gods and that you feel like you need to serve multiple gods. Like, like Hinduism is, is polytheism because Hinduism believes that there are multiple gods and you all need to appease those gods, which is a horrible place to be in as a, as a person because you have all these gods and you don't know what they, th what they think about you or if they're angry or if you, at you or, or not. And no, we're not going to end up with polytheism. So don't worry. It's all good. Okay, relax. All right? So the Israelites believed that, believed that there were more gods, if, if, we, if we understand this Psalm 82 right. And there, there were more Elohim. That's what this Psalm 82 shows us. But the question we need to ask ourselves is if these um, Elohim are at the same level as, as God with capital G, the Lord, Yahweh, the God that we serve. So as I said, said it before, the Elohim, there, there are, they, this, this word refers to any inhabitant of the unseen spiritual world. And you see it used in the Bible for God himself. You also see it used of demons, so evil spiritual beings. But you also see it being used of the human dead, uh, which are basically, you know, in the afterlife. Like uh, Samuel, the, the, the judge prophet. Uh, because... You know, Saul is in a, in, a, in a bad place towards the end of his reign and he doesn't know how things are going to end. So Samuel had already died and he asked his medium to call up Samuel from the, from the dead and to let him speak to him. And, and this Samuel, this spirit is referred to as an Elohim as well. So here's my first um, thing that you should know about the spiritual world, 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 world about the gods. And that's this. The Elohim, the gods are inhabitants of the spiritual world. They're inhabitants of the spiritual world. But the Bible distinguishes God, Yahweh, from all the other gods. They're at a whole different level. But the word Elohim is used for them all. The word Yahweh is the personal name for God. It's the covenant name of God. So, so that's the name that, that we can use, you know, when we talk about God the Father, Yahweh, and his son Jesus Christ, you know, he's, who's equal, coexistent to him. Those are important names. And the Bible commands the gods to worship the Lord, Yahweh. Psalm 92 verse 29 verse 1 says that. It also said, the Bible also says, the Psalms also say that he is their creator and their king. Psalm 95 verse 3 and 148 verse 1 through 5. God is the creator. He's the king of all those other Elohim, of all those other gods. So they're, they're, he's no equal with them just for that reason. Because before they existed, came into existence, he was already there. In fact, he created them. He's at a whole nother level, our God. Yahweh is at a whole nother level. Psalm 89, verse 6 and 7 says this, No one in heaven is like you, Lord. None of the heavenly beings is your equal. Nobody is his equal. You are feared in the counsel of the holy ones. So these other spiritual beings, they're supposed to fear the Lord. Now, where do we remember who needs to fear the Lord as well? That's us. God is calling us to fear the Lord, to, to honor him, to respect him, to put him on a different level than we are. And he says the same thing to those other spiritual beings. They also need to fear the Lord. There's a comparison there between, between us and them. So the gods are incomparable to Yahweh. That's number two. And then the end of the psalm 
82, it says this in verse 6. I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Sons of the most high. What does that mean? It just means what it says, right? They're sons of God. Because God created them. Because he's over them. Because they're part of the family business. They're his sons. This reminds me of who we are as Christians, as believers. We're called to be sons and daughters of God as well. There's another comparison between us and and these gods, where those gods are Yahweh's divine family. And yes, a few rebels, and, and we will see that in the, in the coming few weeks. But those who remain faithful to him, they're still part of that family. Just as we are part of God's family, as well as children of God. So the, so the Elohim are Yahweh's divine family. And these sons of God, they appear in different places in the Bible. And it's usually when they are in the presence of God. In Job 38, verse 4 and 7, it says, it shows actually that they were around before the world began, before God created the earth and humanity. He says this to, basically to Job and other, other people that were around him. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? When the morning stars, and this is not stars, this is, these are divine beings as well. When they sang together, I mean, when was the last time you saw the stars sing, right? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Again, the sons of God were in his presence before the world began, before God created humankind, but they're referred to as, as sons of God. They existed before God, before Yahweh created humanity. That's one more thing that, that we can see about those gods, is that they participate in God's rule. You know, in, in a family business, the authority is passed on from father to son and from father to daughter right? The same is true in, in God's rule, in his kingdom, in his family business. The sons of God, they participate in his rule. Kingship, kingship is being passed on to, to, her, to heirs. Dominion was part of the family business. God is the Lord over the council and his sons have the next highest rank by, by virtue of their relationship with him. And, and some of them became disloyal and they, they fell just like the, the serpent in the, in the Garden of Eden. It also speaks of the sons of God in the Babel story, and we'll get to that in a few weeks, how they became disloyal to God, rebelled against God. But we've got to realize that the sons of God are supposed to participate in the reign of the Lord. In Daniel chapter 4, you see this odd story of um, King Nebuchadnezzar of, the, of Babylon. And he was punished by God with temporary insanity. It's like, hey, man, you, you got too arrogant. I, I got I to gotta judge you for this, at least for, for a little while, until you get back to your senses. And it says in, in, in Daniel 4, verse 24, that it was, this decision was handed down by the decree of the Most High. The decree of the Most High. So in other words, God decided this. God decreed this thing to happen. But when you go back just a few verses to verse 17, it says that it was handed down by the decree of the watchers. You may ask yourself, who are those watchers? I'm glad you asked. They're the same Elohim that the Bible speaks about in multiple places, in Psalms and everywhere. 
They're part of the divine council. They, they co-rule with God. They're supposed to co-rule with God. And they're called watchers because they were supposed to watch over humankind. But even some of them became rebellious against the Lord. So in some cases, God decides what needs to happen on the earth. And it happens just like that, just because God decreed it. But in many cases, he gets his divine family involved to make this happen. It's not just God decide. Yeah, God knows the end result. He knows this is where we're going. But he's inviting his, the other Elohim on board. Like, hey, I need you to kind of come up with the solution on how to, how to carry this out. You guys need to decide that. I don't want to do it. You do it. This kind of upsets our whole um, theory of, um, you know, that God... Um, how do you say that? He predestined everything to happen in a certain way. It's not the case. God knows everything. He's all-knowing, but God doesn't decide everything beforehand. Yes, he knows the end result because the book is clear. The Bible is clear what the end result will be. But he makes use of the Elohim to kind of carry that out. And he makes use of even us people. And I'll get to that in just a moment. Because God... And this is really important for us to realize. He wants you and me to join his family business. God wants you and me to join his family business. How cool is that? That we can be part of God's family business. How many of you have ever been part of a family business? You know, your parents who carried, you know, you were working in their, in their, in their firm or something. How many of you? It's nobody. Come on. <laughs> Just one person. All right. Thank you. So you don't know what it is like. Well, we can learn what it is like. By joining God's family business. God wants us to be a part of that. You know, God doesn't need a divine counsel. God doesn't need anything. God is self-sufficient. He can do anything, right? Yet he chooses to make use of that divine counsel to carry out his will. To, to steer the world in a certain direction. He chooses also to carry out his will through you and me. He wants us to be involved in that family business as well. He wants us to co-rule with him. And in the, the, the Bible, you see that the unseen world has a structure. There are different levels of, of authority in the spiritual world. And we don't know much about it, but it is clear that there are different levels of that. When you, when you look at like uh, Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul talks about the, the, the principalities and the powers and all those forces in the unseen realm. He talks about that and he kind of repeats the thoughts that you see in the Old Testament. There's different levels in the spiritual realm. There is a structure, there is an order in the spiritual world. And, but what is important to know is that they all share the dominion that God has. They, these spiritual beings, they participate in how the company runs. We get to participate in how the family business runs as well. God invites us. He talks the same way about people as he talks about the Elohim that we can actually work together with him. And that was God's whole idea from the beginning of days. He says this to, to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28, have many children so that your descendants will live all over the earth and bring it under their control. Have dominion over it, another translation says. In other words, rule over the world. That's what God says to Adam and Eve. He wants us to rule over the world, but that's God's job, right? Isn't it? So they get to participate in this right from the beginning until the moment where they rebel together with the 
serpent. From that moment on, there is no more, no, you see no more mention of the word dominion. It is just about, you know, working hard and trying to do whatever we can to make this earth look like, at least a little bit like Eden. But the initial plan was that this whole world would look like Eden. It would be a perfect environment. But you know, the good news is, is that God wants the world to end up like Eden in the end. Genesis, sorry, Revelation 21, 22, it makes it very clear that, that, that the earth will go from Eden to Eden. The new Jerusalem will come down. God will make everything new. And we get to be a part of that. We get to kind of do what we can do on this part of eternity to, to make it happen as well. Together with him, we can make this earth a little better, make this earth a better place, see God's kingdom take root, and see it take shape here in this world. That's God's plan. We can join God's family business. Another thing that, that we need to know as, as people is that God wants you to use your free will in fulfilling his purposes. And I'll talk more about free will next week because this is one of the aspects of humanity why we're created, you know, we're created in the image of God. And when, when, it, when we are created in the image of God, it means that we need to have a free will to carry out his will because God has a free will. It's very clear. And the same is true for the divine beings, for the Elohim. They have a free will as well. And God says, hey, I don't want to force you. I don't want you to be a robot. I don't want to force any of that. I want you to voluntarily participate in my rule and help this world become like, like Eden. I want you to help fulfill my f purposes in the world voluntarily. He could have easily raised up robots. He could have easily raised up like people that had no free will. But he chooses not to do it because he wants to have a relationship. He wants to have a voluntary relationship with you and me. He wants us to truly have that heart connection with him. As I wrap up, just one more thought, you know. When you look for the Bible, you see that God is our heavenly father, right? God is our heavenly father. But God is also our God and our king. It's two very important descriptions of who God is. Adam and Eve, they lived in the Garden of Eden. And the Garden of Eden was the place where both his heavenly family and his earthly family lived together with God in the, in the midst of that. God was there. Where God lives, that's where his family lives. Just like our own natural families. And how God relates to his heavenly family is a template for how he relates to his earthly family. We're sons and daughters of our heavenly father. We're his family. He created us for that intimate relationship and God is preparing us for a day where we get to spend eternity in a new global Eden. But Yahweh is also our God and King. This is some, so important for us to wrap our heads around. He's our God and King. Because there's so many teachers out there that, that stress the fact that God is our Father and and it's true, it's right. He is our father. But he's also our God and our king. He asks us to take a step, loyally. He wants us to 
to live in a way that is according to his kingship, to his kingdom reign and rule. He invites us on board with that. That's one of the things that God has been, been revealing to me these last, these last weeks and months. How important it is to, to be under the lordship of God. To really see him as our God and king. Not just as our heavenly father. He is our heavenly father. You know, when you, when you think of the story of the prodigal son, you, you know how God, um, you know, how the father... You know, he saw his son coming and he accepted his son back in and, 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 the, and he could experience the father's heart from that moment on. But then the father gives him a robe. He gives him sandals. He gives him a ring. And he wants the son to step into his authority. He wants his son to, to represent the father in the world outside. And I believe that God is, is stirring something up in our midst. As we seek revival in this church, as we seek for God to move in our lives in a way that is, is so real, there's a couple of things that God wants us to do. For one, you know, worship is just super important. It's so much more than just singing a few songs on Sunday morning and just lay, raising our hands. And by the way, it it's a, it's a, was a big thing for me the first time I raised my hands in worship. I can imagine for some of you, it's a hard step for you to take as well because it's, it's actually a, a sign of submission. Lord, you're, better, you're bigger than me. You're, you're greater than me. I want to worship you. But you know what? When, when, when we worship, when we seek his face, when, when we know that God is here in our midst, you know, it says that where two or three are gathered in my name, there, name, there I am in the midst of them, Right? So if we could see with spiritual eyes right now, Jesus is walking right here. He's right here. This is sacred space. You know, we need to, like, like God said to Moses and, and then later on to Joshua, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. This is holy ground. And when we come into God's house on, on Sunday morning or, uh, you know, a, uh, a dream team night or whatever night where we're having together or even to a connect group meeting or, you know, when you celebrate Shabbat at home or whatever, it's, whole, it's a holy moment. It's holy ground. And God wants to meet with his people. He wants to meet with you. But there's a, there's a, there's a pattern. There is a, a, you know, there's a, God wants us to, to lay aside some of the stuff that's holding us back. He wants us to lay aside some sins, some, some things that, that, that are in a way between us and him. Not because we're, you know, he hates us for it. Not because he doesn't love us anymore. No, he loves us so much. But he's saying to us, worship me, surrender to me. Some of those things that, that are in the way between you and me, just lay, lay them aside. Serve me and me alone. Honor me. Surrender to him. Worship, surrender. There's another thing that I believe God wants to kind of put on our horizon, and that is stewardship. It's like he gives us so much. He gives you gifts and talents. He gives you possessions. He gives you passion, gives you experiences in your life, some of them good, some of them not so good. 
And he wants you to use those. He wants you to steward those for the advancement of his kingdom. Yes, it's great if we build our own homes. It's great if we build our careers and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But God is saying to you and me that there's one thing we need to seek first, and that is his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. There's a stewardship that's needed. And a stewardship, being a steward, being, being, a, being a manager over things is something else than being a ruler or reigning over stuff. And I had to learn this myself. And I testified to you about that basically the last couple of weeks. How I've, how I've ruled over my family, how I've ruled over this church, how I have my own ideas about how church needs to be. And God was saying to me, go back to my word. Go back to the biblical patterns. Go back to the ancient paths that are in my word and work with those because you'll see when you submit to those patterns, when you become a steward of those patterns, that things are going to happen you've never experienced before in church life. Miracles are going to happen. Breakthrough is going to happen. Because there's these patterns that we need to hold on to. But it starts with being humble. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. And our own ego doesn't want to submit. Our own ego doesn't want to humble, them, humble itself. I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the only person here in this room that actually feels that. How many of you are with me? How many of you are struggling with submitting to God? Right? We all have that problem, right? It's a human trade since, since we left the Garden of Eden. We want to rebel. We want to do our own thing. Not deliberately, but it's just how, you know, what happened with us. But you know, the great thing is that, that we serve a God who actually submitted himself for us. Philippians 2, maybe this is powerful. It says this, verse 8 through 11. It talks about Jesus. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, so the Elohim, and on earth, that's you and me, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God father how amazing is that we don't have to surrender to some kind of god that we that is a distant from us that is angry with us that is far removed from us no we can surrender to a god who surrendered himself for you and me who came down to this earth to this miry mud this place here on earth that is filled with sin and filled with um you know all kinds of junk that comes our way but jesus chose to surrender himself he came as a man and because he did that, we don't have to be afraid to submit to him. Because he knows your struggle. He knows the things that you're going through in your life right now. As you try to submit to him. And God is saying to you, he's saying to some of us here today, this morning, that hey, that thing that you've been wrestling with, maybe that's sin, that's sexual sin. Maybe it's, been, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you have the feeling that God is angry with you the whole time. But in fact, you're not ang God is not angry with you. You're angry at God. And God is saying to you, submit your anger to me. 
Submit your anger to me. Let it all go. I know what it's like. I've walked this earth as you're walking this earth right now. God wants to move in your life today. He wants to bring, back, to bring you back to the heart of the Father. He wants you to live under his righteous rule and reign because he's asking you and me to submit to his kingship, to submit to his rulership. Lay it all down and come to him today. Then we could all stand right now. Jesus has a name above every name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. My question to you this morning. Have you bowed your knee before Jesus? Have you truly surrendered your life before him? It's a freedom that will come in your life that you're not experiencing right now because you haven't fully surrendered every area, every aspect of your life. He's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your soul. I believe that for some of you, maybe all of you this morning, it takes a deliberate decision to draw near to him. And when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. That's what the, gospel, what the book of James says. And God, you know, this place here is nothing supernatural about it. There's nothing different. This is just the same carpet as it is back there. But I know that when we take a deliberate step, when we sanctify this space and, and say, hey, you know, God... I want to go over there because I want, I'm so desperate to meet with you. I'm so desperate to experience your presence in my life. I'm so desperate to experience more of you in my life. I need you, God, to show up today. How many of you will need God to show up in your life today? How you really need God to show up in your life today? Come on, let's raise, raise our hands. I believe he wants to show up in power. So as we go into sing the song in, in just a moment, I want to invite you just to find a place of prayer right here. Just kneel down. And I'm going to be there myself as well because I need God to show up in my life. I want, to, I want to constantly, you know, keep making the decision to show loyalty to Him, to, to make Him number one over my life, to keep Him number one in my life. And, and when, when we, we're loyal to Him, you know, He can do things in our lives that you've never even imagined could ever happen in your life. He's here. He's here right now. Jesus is here right now. So let's pray. And, and after that, we, you can come forward. And the Lord will touch you. God, we come to you right now. We thank you for that heaven and earth will submit itself to you, will kneel down before you, that, that we will, all the tongues in heaven and earth will confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. God, we, we know that you need to be Lord over our lives. That there's this, the best way to live. That's the best way to go through our existence here on earth is to be submitted to your Lordship because not only will we get eternal life, not only will we experience your presence, but God, you make us complete in you. You make us complete in your presence. You, you invite us to be a part of that kingdom business. You invite us to be part of your family business, Lord. God, just show yourself 
faithful today. Show up empowered this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 